heard a lot about this uh, show, the ex-candidates. This has been a pretty thorough interview. These institutions which we've been told to respect and trust are actually completely untrustworthy. Have you confirmed that you are negative before attending tonight if you are unvaccinated? I still see people with masks on and driving and they're in the car by themselves. So you can pay my electricity bill, you think, that was spared. We're teaching them about what it means to be a pansexual instead of teaching them how to do your taxes. It's no for me. I say no to the boys. Hey everyone, welcome back to the, another episode of The Ex Candidates. My name is Stephen Tripp. We've just been at CPAC, so this is a little bit of an ag hot uh, episode tonight. But we've brought along Mr. Buno, so it should be exciting. First of all, Adam Zara, how are you tonight? I'm pretty good, thanks, Stephen. How are you going, mate? You what, did you get the root canal today, or are you battling along? No, I'm battling along. I didn't get the root canal, so if you see me there with my lip hanging down, and I'm like, oh, it's because I'm in a little bit of pain. But uh, is what it is, and uh, you must be the only dentist that works on the Sundays, eh? Hey, is it, hey it was proper clinic and was real good it's in Campbelltown yeah, I mean yeah. Campbelltown's the place to be I, I I was impressed everyone if when I when I left I, you know obviously at CPAC you know people want to speak to us and we know a lot of people at those events and I'm, they're like oh you're leaving and I'm like yeah well, I've got to go unfortunately I've got to you know go see a dentist what you can see a dentist on on Sunday and I said well it's Campbelltown it's the place to be I mean like what that's just what we do you know it's they well you know working class people working all week they need to uh be able to see a dentist too so the dentists have their services open on a saturday and sunday out this way so um pretty good is it bulk uh, billing or is dentists not bulk billing oh no uh, i always hate when they go are you with a private health fund and i'm like no and they're like, oh, that's going to cost you. <laughs> so, <laughs> it certainly does. But um, no, good dentist, and um, you know, well, well, let's 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 uh, let's look for all the Christians and 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 prayerful people out there. Um, send me a prayer because I don't really want to have dental. Oh, that'd be so dramatic. I've got to have dental surgery, guys. I've got to, I've got like some sort of abscess formed from a uh, previous root canal. All I can say is, don't let a motorcycle hit you in the face because it ruins your teeth. That's that's what's happened. Um, anyway, I'd like to talk about um, our previous um, interview that we just had with Professor Ian Plymer. He's um, he's a gentleman, that guy. I like it, Professor Ian Plymer, a real light. He's a, he's a real gentleman and um, he's happy to get his message out. And I think, you know, he's a bit of a benevolent soul, I think, as well. He was very open about talking about his cancer and we wish him well and and all our prayers go out to him for that. And... Um, and um, you know, he's said that he was happy to um, share his findings with treatments and alternative treatments that he's done. So he's somebody who can really look at um, at the data. You know, he was very open about not understanding, um, you know, the actual medical stuff. Well, he's not a doctor. He's not a, he's not medically trained, but he does understand reports and he does understand studies. So when he's speaking to a medical professional who really knows medicine, and then he starts questioning studies about chemotherapy and things like that um, and he can run his own scientific experiments um, regarding cancer and treatments um, you know that's that that seems to me like you know good anecdotal advice to maybe listen to and just um, inspires people to do a little bit of research of their own we have this amazing tool called google and um, you know we can actually do a little bit of research we don't have to take afra's word for it because it's not our doctor's word anymore it's all about afra and it's all about the pharmaceutical companies spending a lot of money on um, on Afra and then getting their approvals. So um, do your research and take it out, check it out. 
I'm skeptical of everything now. I hate. I, I mean, I'm not. I'm. A, I'm. A, I like. I've always been trustworthy of doctors and things like that. But now, I'll always, um, always uh, second guess them a little bit and and um, see a bit of research. Yeah, because I I spoke to him. I, I we heard him speak to, speak this afternoon, and he was very clear and precise, and you know, he you know, kept it very simple and very receptive about the, the whole. He was on well, fire when we interviewed him, but. Um... Definitely go out and buy his books. I mean, I, I bought copies. Out. I think Adam, you bought copies too, I right? I bought a copy of each book, and I read last night. I read um, the Little Green Book for Ankle Biters. I read that one last night. It was a, it was a literally not even a ten minute read. Um, you can see him trying to real. My my review of this book is that I think everybody should read this book. It's because it's um, it is for it's obviously they're based for ankle biters. But, um, you know, it just gives everyone a little bit of information. I think um, the information that you learn from this little book, if you were on a um, polling booth with some greens standing next to you, you, can out, you could outclass them with the information you get from that book. So, you know, we're talking about, you know, four- to five-year-old kindergarten kids being able to have more information at hand to have a debate with a greenie about um, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere than... Uh, than they would know and they've been to uni. So um, it's a very good – it was actually a really good read and um, it's pretty funny as well. He was talking about, you know, farts and stuff like that. So, you know, it keeps a bit of humour in there. A few little experiments to do as well. Um, so that was um, really, really good. And he seemed to be doing a roaring trade. Every time I was outside in the public foyer, there was always five or six people lining up. You know? Yeah, yeah. So even from yesterday morning, even this afternoon, there was always someone constantly – on deck trying to buy, we're getting the book. You know, he, was, he was doing a roaring trade. I mean, this is how ground, you know, this is how grounded this man is. Like, you know, like him and his, he and his daughter had to drive pretty much all across the eastern seaboard this week before coming to CPAC. So they went to, they had to drive up to the publisher. Um, I think from, I can't remember, I can't exactly remember ex- where exactly, but from apparently it's from South Australia to Queensland. Picked up all the picked up all the books and stuff like that, and then they and then they were he had to do something up in Queensland, I think, and then what happens is and they they drove down and then they set up at CPAC and they're at CPAC for for both days. I mean, this is a man who um, you know he's not a spring chicken, and um, but he's definitely dedicated to the cause. So um, you know, oh, my props go out to um, Professor Ian Plymer. Um, good on him, and he's getting the word out there, and he's just trying to, you know, he's trying to actually. Um, he believe genuinely believes that it, that the school system and curriculum regarding climate change is abuse to children because he's scaring the hell. We're scaring the hell out of our kids, thinking that the world's going to end. No wonder why we have such mental health issues when they're being indoctrinated at schools. Now, now I've, I've I messaged Adam today. I said. Are you going to be all right to come on tonight? And he said, yeah, 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 but I won't be able to speak too much. He just spoke for seven minutes before we've even interviewed or into, into what, what's the word? And I haven't started yet. Introduced, introduced our guest, Mr. Sam Buno. Well, here's Mr. Sam This is a casual podcast. Come on, mate. We, we How you going, Mr. Buno? I give Buno. warning to everyone that when they're desperate for Pete um, to get someone on, they come to me on the last resort, you know. Well, that's probably true. Mr. Buno was on episode 57. If you want to go and watch that one, it was very well received. A lot of people reached out to me, even people you don't like or people that don't like you, Sam, told me that uh, it was. Yeah, even a few political staffers even rang me and said that I was uh, 
So I watched I got it. Which... From people in Parliament that messaged me and said that uh, they enjoyed the episode. So welcome back. We did scrape the bottom of the barrel by bringing you back home. We're meant to have Jeff Grimshaw, but he's he's ditched us for the seatback after party. Well, that's, that's the right. Place to be. <laughs> all those days. <laughs> you know, we didn't get a gig. Hey, all those concerns. Well, hey, I would have been. I would have been out there with him as well. I last last seatback, I went out drinking with the old um, Jeff Grimshaw, but I would have. Um, but this time, like we couldn't get out there. I couldn't get out there today. Now, Sam, what well, this is your this was your first CPAC. You were meant to just go for the Saturday, but you decided you loved it so much that you went for the Sunday as well. No, I had I, fo- I had something on. I thought I had something on about lunchtime today, a family thing, but my, with my old my younger brother. But he he chuffed off up to Drew for for a day out. So they they'd be late for his funeral. So you know he's so unreliable. Oh, okay. Well, we don't need your life story, but um, <laughs> how how was your in, in, impression of CPAC? And do you think this? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I was, you know, had my head up and then just see what happened, but actually meeting a lot of people, you know, people from Melbourne that come up. Um, met, nice to meet Amanda Stoker, yeah. Um, couple of, uh, she's and, a Bradbury girl. She's from Campbelltown. Is she? I didn't know that. I thought she was a Queenslander. Well, she was um, born and raised in, in uh, Bradbury last time I spoke to her, and I know that she was a senator up in Queensland, but she's definitely um, home and hosed in Campbelltown, so good on yeah. her making it, yeah, ex, making ex, it ex, out. Yeah, you know, seeing ex-politicians, ex, ex-staffers, recent ex-staffers that were on parliamentary staffers, and, and um, yeah, the people from corporate Australia. Uh, so it was really a, a, a real cross-section of... Um, people from society it was really so what we might do is we might go through the speakers Uh, we didn't watch all of them because we're just mingling and networking out the back most of the time so we didn't watch some of the speeches but what we might do is i might bring up some of the speakers even some of the ones that we may have not seen but we'll just discuss them and maybe some issues that are around them at the moment and we'll just go through it that way so we might skip some people but uh it started off with uh Warren Mundine, which is the CPAC chairman, uh, do Sam, do you have any opinions of, of Warren? Actually, yeah, yeah. I, I see him quite regularly, to be truthful. I uh, lives up my way, and uh, I see him occasionally, once every couple of months. And, and uh, yeah, he, uh, you know, he clear and precise. He's you know, run a very disciplined campaign for the no, no case. And so, obviously, I've got that wrong. Remember, I said. Three months ago, there'd be 55, 45 for the yes. Well, I got that wrong again. So, well, you know. it's not there yet. You're not there yet. It could change. Yeah. Um, oh, maybe it's a kiss of death. I think, I think the no vote should win. I think that's the only thing that's going to stop the no vote is basically if, if the, this bombardment of all that money from corporate Australia comes through the next six weeks, that might change a few soft no's across. But I've just got a funny feeling it's going to be like a Brexit situation where the elites. In the, on the coastline, going to vote yes, and the further west you go in land and into rural country Australia, and it'll swing the other way. That's off the top of what pollsters are saying, and you know, even even some of the left wing pollsters are saying it's becoming that way. So, so Adam Warren's, Warren's we... stuck on message, same as Jacinta Price, although I probably spoke out of line, but certainly. Um, Warren Warren has led the campaign, stuck to issues most of the time, and uh, sold a case of you know, what's happened, yeah. what what's a, a yes vote will do, and 
Well, he's, he's definitely been galvanised by this issue. Adam, I remember last year you and I were talking because obviously he's Warren's there every year. And yep. I remember saying to you, oh, this guy just doesn't do it for me. He kind of just mumbles his way and doesn't have a real clear message. But this time he was right on point. He was very interesting to listen to. He popped up on another panel later on as well that he was really good in that we'll get to then. Uh, did your opinion change of Warren Mundine? So um, obviously, you know, a year ago when when um, when we met him the first time, you know, I didn't really know the ins and outs of who he particularly was. I'd seen his face around a little bit, and obviously now through having um, such a, a strong um, fight against a topic, you know, when you've got a everyone's when you've got a common enemy, you know, you you start to form like you know allies and start to really see people come to come to stand. And I think he's right. And I think he his key message was, um, you know, for us not to get complacent, along with um, Jacinta Price, Price's um, speech as well. It was more about, yes, okay, so at the moment, you know, the no vote looks like we're, we're getting ahead of the yes vote, but we've got to make, ensure that we're not staying complacent. So it's important, you know, to jump on to, you know, Fair Go Australia and and uh, if, you, if, you're, if you're in the no camp, then, you know, Give them a few hours to to make sure make a difference. I, I think that's the key point. You got to make a difference. You got to you got if you're gonna if you're gonna do something, it's time to do it. Join up, give a couple of hours, vote. Um, you know, donate some time to your local camp, to your local polling station. Um, I signed up. I'm gonna be a. I'm, well, I've signed up and get, let them know that I could be a booth captain at a local booth in my area in St Andrews. Um, I've had experience campaigning as well now. I'm pretty solid on the whole no thing. I understand a fair bit about what's going on with the um, with the no campaign and what's at stake here, um, just like all of us here are. Um, so, you know, just do a little bit of research and you, you, you utilise your time and actually make a difference to the Australian he, shape of Australia. He's certainly a busy boy because I saw on Twitter about 10 minutes ago he was, he's in, he was in Perth today, so you don't muck around. Yeah, wow. Who's in Perth? Warren? Warren and it just sent a price. Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah, I just saw on the uh, one that came up on my Twitter feed. I don't know if it was Warren's or um, just came up with a couple, a couple of yarn. Uh, there was a big um, the no campaign summer in, in Perth. Yeah. Well, um, we don't, we, we didn't, um, I, I missed a little bit of Tony Abbott's speech. He I was saw Tony Abbott's speech. Yeah. What What did you think of? I might play this clip quickly. Yeah. Um. I, I we look. We did. We just. We've just come from the the event. Normally, I do a lot of research for these episodes and have these clips ready. But uh, obviously, we haven't had the chance to do that because you know we've been at the uh, at the thing all weekend and we've just. I reckon some of the best shows we've done, mate. Some of the best shows you've done, mate, is when you're not prepared because you just well, roll it off, mate. All well, right. sometimes well, we do interviews at the actual place as well. Let's just play this clip and we'll see what he – I don't know if this is actually an interesting thing that he said, but they've posted it online, so let's see what Tony Abbott had to say. And the last yep. thing that we should be doing right now is jeopardising all of that in a misguided attempt to rewrite our history as a story of shame in an impossible bid to undo the past and in a positively – harmful bid to replace an old racial distinction with a new one. What do you boys think about that? Yeah. Um, 
wonderful. He's a look world class. I mean, you can tell that he's a world class politician, and um, he's great for the conservative side. And you know, an ex prime minister. I mean, you'd expect you, you expect a lot from from people like him, um, and you know, very poignant about what he was saying. Clear and precise. Yeah. Good cut through. Well, that's um, it's good that you know most people will look at things and say, "Oh, well, he's he he was prime minister. He's had his time. He should he should butt out." But he's still got plenty to contribute, just as other former former prime ministers and ministers. And like we've seen Gary Johns up there. Gary Johns hasn't been a minister for a long time, but he's still got plenty to contribute. So. Uh, just because you, you're out of politics now doesn't mean that you can't contribute anymore, and I think that's good for the country. Just because you were a former prime minister doesn't mean that you should just ride off into the sunset. If there's an issue that comes along that galvanises you and really motivates you to get out there and, and speak again, and obviously T- Tony Abbott's been very successful in the past in winning elections and winning... The, only, the only thing I would query that is... We're, I've, come, as a, you know, I've come through Hawke and Howard from the mid-'80s until you now Howard in 07. Obviously, the last three or four prime ministers haven't had a real good run at it, so it's a fill of, oh, yeah. of, of, of a gap and didn't they really achieve anything because they weren't in office long enough. That's And you, know, you had the Rudd-Gillard-Rudd years, and then you had Abbott, then you had Turnbull with you no know, backstabbing each other, then you had on the outside come from nowhere was Morrison and, you know, now suddenly Albo's and Prime Minister have been here for 15 months. So, so we, tell, tell me, Sam, who's been our, our best Prime Minister since Howard? Oh, God. <laughs> can I swear? <laughs> you can, you well, can do, do whatever, whatever you want. want. None of the bastards. Hey? None of the bastards. Look, I think most people would agree with you. Yeah. yeah. I think hands down people would say they're all useless. History, I mean, history will not judge them well, all four of them. I, I, well, I think there's been more than four, hasn't there? Five, sorry, I got that, I got that wrong. Yeah, I, Six? Yeah, I, I, I personally, I hate Rudd and Turnbull, so that, that's my two, you know. Um, I despise them. You know, so. What about you, Adam? I think, I think a lot of, I think a lot of, um, a lot of distrust in politics came from the Rudd-Gillard-Rudd era. I don't think when you vote a prime minister in, you expect the prime minister to be in. And if you expect them to be ejected from seat, it would come from the people being ejecting them, you know. Um, but we didn't. I never realised, you know, back then I was. What when was Rudd Gillard Rudd? That was 07. Oh, so, one in 07, yeah. To thirteen. To thirteen, you know, like I was still fairly young and probably, and I was actually a little bit interested. I, I've always, you know, through John Howard and all that, have had a keen interest in politics. I always watched it what the news fed me, um, but would watch and pay attention. And I think when I think I lost a lot of interest in politics when I realised that they could actually manoeuvre behind each other's backs and and oust one out and another one gets in and then, you know, that it it just kind of takes the what's the point of voting if if we can't, you know, at the end if they have such a, an easy opportunity to, to boot somebody out. Hmm. So um, I think it weakened, it weakened Australian politics, that, that whole era. Well, from a, a former prime minister to potentially a future prime minister, uh, which I, I, you know, I don't. I mean, I know Dr. Gary John said don't put too much pressure on Jacinta Price, but mm. I think she's definitely a star. And, and again, this issue has given her a platform and something, an issue that she can really bite her teeth into. There's plenty of meat on the bone that she can draw from her own experiences in life to really represent her views. So this is. 
uh, Jacinta Price. Again, we don't know what she's saying in this clip, but we'll just give it a, a whirl and see what she has to say. Well, sadly, there actually hasn't been. There are no plans, no ideas and no action. There's been absolutely nothing done to improve the lives of our most marginalised Australians. But instead, we have a Prime Minister so concerned with his own popularity that he's willing to tear apart the country for some applause from the media and, of course, his corporate elite mates. Shame. I remember her on uh, Paul Murray a few years ago and she would be bumbling, you know, around and not really being concise with the wording. She, she spoke excellently there. It's come a long way. She, um, I know, in fact, um, she went from, um, from Alice Springs Council, basically, and um, the, centre of in, the, the Centre of Independence, um, uh, it's called the CIS, run by... Um, or what's his name? He lives down the road here. Um, Tom Switzer, his name is, mm. and he's uh, he grabbed her and um, and got her mentored her. I think she's and and she's he's an old ABC works for Radio National at the moment. Does a show in the afternoons, and I think she, he's really really taught her how to talk and write speeches and be fluent and be confident in public. So certainly stuff what I saw from a couple of years ago, as you say, on Paul Murray, where she spluttered and stuttered. And that's, once again, it's all confidence, you know. Yeah, we can well. name a couple pol- We can name a couple, couple politicians where they're a bit, you know, the first year or two, they're a bit rusty. You see them now, yeah. they're much more confident on the ground, talk. There's two here, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. that's exactly right. And then and ones who we know in Parliament who were who were nothing. So a couple of years ago, and now now they're they're coming out of their shell, a bit more confident, you know, a bit more confident on the floor, and it just and it just comes with public speaking. I know when I when I was doing a little bit of public speaking, just in when I was at work, I was nervous as hell. But it's just it's just experience. And look at two you guys. You you were rebels early on, and first next thing, it's just confidence in your own ability and. Be talking and be more fluent, you know. And when you're campaigning, even that interview you had today with um, Matthew Camensoli, Stephen, yeah, you came across it was you're more pr- precise and confidence, you know, stuck to message. That's great. Now that's it, you've improved from 12 months, so that's progress, you know. Yeah. Same as you, Adam. You can handle someone, someone from the media, or someone come up to you. you you're much more confident, you know. And yeah, you switch, you switch into that mode of selling your message. It's like a salesman. Well, we'll that's, we'll that's speak exactly about right. yeah we'll we'll speak about Matthew Camazzoli later, but um because yeah. I think he's an important part of this whole weekend. But uh, he basically put me on the spot for that interview, and it wasn't it was more from doing this podcast that's really helped helped me, and I'm sure Adam can me too yeah uh, yeah just being able to speak to high profile people all the time and be able to react to what they're saying and be a- to be able to answer. Them. And I still jumble over my words. I've still got a speech impediment and whatever. No, you haven't. That's okay. rubbish. You still, you're going good, mate. Don't talk yourself down. Don't yeah. talk yourself down, Stephen. <laughs> yeah, right. that's, that's rubbish. You go, okay. Some people get intimidated when there's a microphone stuck up between your nose, but you know, all that sort of thing. You do that well now, mate. You, the way you handled it today is a credit to yourself. You would yeah. have done that six or twelve months ago. So don't pat yourself on the back, mate. Don't don't kick kick yourself down. Well, the main thing was now I just do it and I don't think about it and I don't get nervous. Whereas before, I think you could probably watch some of my early interviews. I, I would be shaking. Like I remember yeah. the first speech yeah. I ever gave at a, an event in Blacktown. Yeah. I was shaking. 
Now don't forget, I don't get nervous at all. Don't forget, Stephen, that your knowledge has gotten better as well. Mm. So what happens is you've got a deeper knowledge on, on lots of topics, topics. So when you're speaking about things that you know about, like if we were to talk about energy, if we were to talk about even the voice, um, you know, through talking with absolute professionals, even through even with some of the stuff on COVID that we've spoken about, you know, we, you know, if you're when you're interviewing, you know, scientists and professors and and like real world class doctors, you know, it, it is nerve wracking because you don't want to come across like an idiot, and then you try. We both of us are trying to figure out. You know what kind of questions can we ask to try and get the most out of this interview, um, and and I think every time I think our feedback regarding from all of our special guests has been quite positive, just like it yeah. is from Mr. Bruno yeah. here today. You know, it's been positive. It's been like, wow, that's an in-depth question, or that's and a great question. Hopefully, we're taking the audience on a journey with us. Okay, well, mm-hmm. let's learn together. You know, you, you by everyone watching at home and Adam and I interviewing and having guests on. You know, we're all kind of on a journey of discovery i know that sounds like a cliche but it's true right because we don't know everything there's no it's not possible well, look at today mate we've got no we've got no people watching today we've we've, we've got together in, within a half an hour's notice of each other and we've got no agenda there's nothing written on the paper we're just talking it off and we just make an issue bring up an issue and let's go bang 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 you know everyone gets a minute here and it just flows we Look, we've already we've you now we've gone a fair distance already, and we've only had three or four subjects, and we thought we'd be struggling. Now suddenly we've we've got momentum. We're all talking, <laughs> in and out, in and out, bang, bang, bang. It's, now let's go on to the sub next subject. Suddenly, you know that that's flow. That's through experience. You know? Yeah, and, and I should, I you should be. Can... Sorry, yeah. mate. I was going to say should be proud of that thing. sort of stuff. Oh well, you know, like thank you very much. We appreciate it, but um, as well, but you know, the thing is too is um, I had a good piece of information when I was a kid once um, from a from a, from a mum from a school. And she said, you know what, Adam? And she goes, you don't know what you don't know. So what happens is I always, I always use that. I always think about that saying actually because it's kind of like we don't know what we don't know. So you can never say that you know everything because you actually don't know what you don't know. So I come into every interview and I'm sure Stephen does as well. And, yes, we do do a bit of research and we do – um, go in, see, pe- watch people's interviews, and that we do spend a few hours. Um, sometimes Stephen more than I, sometimes me more than Stephen. But um, what happens is, um, you know, we don't know. So that's just like everybody else out there. Sometimes we don't know. I don't know what goes on with IG four in a in an immune system. I, you know, like those those things I am learning about as well. So the, this is, and I think that's what um, the ex candidates is trying to do, is trying to we bring it down to a level where. The general people, the general populace can understand it. It's important that um, we bring it down to a level where, we, yes, you know, we can understand some technical things and we do ask some technical questions, but then we inspire our guests to bring it down to a level where we can all understand it. And that's well, how you know you've well, got a good if, guest. If we, if we know we're having someone on like Dr Peter McCullough or Professor oh, Nikolai yeah. Petrovsky or Dr Melissa McCann, we'll bring in like... For example, Paul Vallejo, oh, wow. or we brought in Faye Aspiotis when we interviewed uh, Professor, Professor Some people that might have a little bit of experience or knowledge beyond ours to just add that little bit of intellectual grunt to the interview. So Yes, well, Faye has the scientific background, and, um, you know, we all get along very well with Faye. And anyway, Faye, if you're ever watching, hello, haven't spoken to you for a little while. Um, but it was very good. Like, you know, she could ask some technical questions regarding like on the scientific side of things and understands the papers and stuff like that that we don't understand. 
And well, in terms of uh, in terms, yeah. we were speaking about speaking well. Yeah. Well, one of the best speeches, in my view, was uh, Barnaby Joyce. Yes. So uh, let's listen to Barnaby. I want to talk about conviction. Conviction. You know, a politician that has the wrong conviction is a very, very dangerous person. Very, very dangerous. And a politician that has no conviction is very, very useless. Very, very useless. So what you see, of course, is that people are aware that without conviction, they don't want to be known as useless, and they don't want to be known as dangerous, but they do want a job, is that they will, um, will always try and assuage you as to their conviction. Now, we know what conviction sounds like. It sounds like rah-rah, bottle of rum, rah-rah, I'm in there fighting, rah-rah. There's a lot of words. It comes with things such as values and principles. They never actually define what they are. I'm not quite sure what they are. Take them into the preckles on a hard subject, such as abortion. You'll never get an answer. You'll never get an answer. I'll just duck away from that one. But what does it look like? What does conviction look like? Well, it looks like derision. It looks like ridicule. It looks like hate. It can look like jail, and it can look like death. Conviction comes with uh, some serious impediments. But you need conviction to stand for the things that are right and to bring about change when required. I, I think he definitely hit the nail on the head there. I think the, the best quality that a politician can have is conviction. What do you think, Sam? Oh, he's he's the best one of the best retail politicians in Australia. You know, you know he he communicates well with his constituents. Anything on the other side of the of the of the Great Divide, he comes, sells the message, and he sticks to message, and and believes what he believes in. You know, when he says reliability of energy goes up, and the, sorry, the reliability energy of go of energy goes down, prices go up. You know. Yeah. He says he stays on message all the time, you know, That's, and he and it comes across to his constituents, especially in the country areas. He's still a very popular person, though he's hated in the in the cities. But you you go you go in the other, on the other side of the Great Divide, he's still popular as ever, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, well, first time I've heard him speak. That, I think it's something that uh, some people have to realise: you're not going to be able to please everyone. You know, you uh, think about it this way: John Lennon. People adore John Lennon. He's probably one of the most popular musicians of all time. For me, he does nothing. Mm. For me, Led Zeppelin do nothing for me, and people love Led Zeppelin. You know, well, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm from that era. I, I love Led Zeppelin. Uh, I wasn't a great John Lennon fan, but uh, from the seventies, <laughs> Zeppelin and you know, I, I love Pink Floyd, and you know. Uh, See, I would say the, Deep Purple. I'd, Deep Purple and uh, the David Bowie was a revolutionary in those days. You know, My and, point and, is that even if you – And the, the Stones, you know, the Stones yeah. to this day, Stones have, you know, Stones have been around for 60 years and they still stood the test of time. Yeah, I know, but you're getting past <laughs> – you're taking away the point. point. I'm trying to make the point that you can't. The point is, you can be renowned. You can yeah. be loved. You can be world like world renowned and loved, but still not please everybody. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, and in politics, you're going to have to just accept 
that people are going to hate you and they're going to hate you unjustly most of the time. Hey, but if, in politics, they hate you if they don't like the look of you. Well, you yeah. can be saying all the right things. If they don't like the look of you. Or you could, they could hate you just because you're in the wrong party. They don't know anything about what you or any, you know, they don't know anything about your background. They don't know what you stand for. They don't know what you, I guess they're just concluding that you stand for something because you're in a particular party. But that's just, it's a weird human tribal instinct or something. It's very hard. It's very hard to to stay on message and can be convictions and cop it sweet and all that. You got to have a real hard gumption about you. You, know, you really, you, know, you got to take take the barbs another, and all that. Another element of it as well is not only are they scared of what the public will say about them and think about them, they're scared about what their party is telling them in the background. Don't say this. Don't say that. Mm-hmm. You can't. You can't go off message. Well. I spoke to um, oh, name's gone out of my head. Maya, what, what, who, what's um, Sam? Who's the Maya Tessa? Yeah, Maya Tessa. Sorry, I, I apologise that, that her name. We met so many people today, but she said, "Well, she's running as an independent." And good luck to her this this upcoming weekend at the election and the by election because I think she's ex, an excellent candidate. But she said, "What is probably needed is a coalition of independents that don't necessarily." are bound together in, on certain messages, but they might stand for a collective sort of issue. Uh, before and, and Liberal that, Labor, before Liberal Labor, I'm saying 100 years ago, it was a, it was a, a mismatch of parties all around the shops. You know? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100 yeah. years ago, there was yeah. the Labor Party, but that was only in infant stages, but there was always a, nation, a Nationals Party and all that sort of stuff like that. Yeah. There was a very mismatch of of, um, part, of members of, from other different parties and stuff well, like that. Here's a good example. Let's let's play this next next speaker. This is Moira Deeming. Now, obviously, she's had a falling out with her party, and her party hasn't supported her. While many of the members have, the leadership hasn't supported her. The membership yeah. has. But this just goes to show: in all parties, there's different views and different beliefs, and that's not a, not necessarily a bad thing. And it shouldn't be something that should be trampled upon. It's a bad thing when. When those when those um, different views or opposing views to each other aren't taken seriously or aired, hmm. if, if you're in the caucus, if you're in the back back stalls of the caucus and you're all having a debate and you can openly and freely speak about your point and your conviction and it's taken on board and everyone's open and minded enough to to, to see whether uh, or whether that has air or that doesn't have air, where you can actually you know debate it out and then maybe change. The, the majority in, in the caucus, you know, to change their view, that's what healthy democracy is about. But at the moment we're not seeing that. At the moment we're seeing um, alternate views against the narrative just get completely squashed down and people ridiculed and exited, just like Moira Deeming. If you are wondering what on earth an independent Liberal MP is, you're not alone. It's a name I had to sort of come up with myself because apparently there isn't a category for me in the law. Apparently, I'm the first MP in history who has refused to quit their party after being expelled from their parliamentary team. I decided to stand my ground. Thank you. Uh, she got a standing ovation at the end of her speech, and yes. I think it goes back to what Barney was, Barnaby was saying. She has conviction. You can see that she's walked through the fire. She stood up for what she believes, and she won't back down. I think people like that. They want that. Mm. 
I saw her speak on the panel today just before I left CPAC. And, um, you know, um, from my understanding, you know, without doing any research on her at all, is that she was a teacher and that she was, uh, so she was a school teacher and that she started actually is, you know, really worried about the way the curriculum's going. So today her speech was more about her experience as a teacher and what the legislations and things like that are putting in. Like such things like where you can have, um, a doctor can, so they got doctors in schools now. It's a program. I, I'm not sure if it's related to all over um, Australia or just related to uh, Victoria itself. But apparently, um, you could have a male doctor in a locked in a closed doors room situation with a with a child, and they are allowed to um, assess, assess the a child without any sort of supervision. So that's you know well, that- it's. it's that's sort of legislation I mean, you introduced in the New South Wales next couple of months. Well, and we're talking about things like where they could actually they they're allowed to lift the top of the child, and think and like re, and actually do like an exploratory examination, um, you know. So I mean, these things are a little bit scary, you know. Like, um, you know, I'm not, you know, probably ninety percent of the time, you know, nothing would come of that. But it is, you know, if we are to try and, you know, this can these things can happen without the consent of a parent. And, um, you know, so she did come up to raise a few very, very serious and very topical points about, you know, child protection and how legislation is working against that under the guise of protecting children. Mm. You know, we're going to sacrifice child safety for a phone mental health issue. No, there's been a bit of pushback. There is a bit of pushback in in Europe and America over it too. Yeah, well, so there should be. So the Travis Stock, the Travis Stock stuff in in London or in 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 UK. We're we're not we It's a bit like global all the windmills and the prior prices in in Europe. We're not learning. We we can see what's happening over there, but no one wants to. Yeah, we're still we're always seem to be behind the times here. You know. Yeah. Hundred percent. That's ridiculous. You, know, you can you can see what's happening over there, but we're not doing anything. You know, we're not the agenda still until we make mistakes over here. So, Sam, politically, was it smart for the Liberal Party in Victoria to boot out more redeeming? It's hard because because what Andrews just runs the agenda, and, and you know, somehow he gets a way of he just it just it's just a different country down there. I don't know what's going on. Be interesting how this this by election goes in 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 um in next weekend in, in Melbourne a, lib, a safe liberal seat to a point. Be seeing what the sort of vote goes from there. Yeah. But I don't know if there's been pushback or who knows. But it's at the moment in Victoria, it's just it's a different world down there. I don't know what the hell's going on down there. What well, I've what I've read read lately is just for me a lot of homeless people living in the streets now and graffiti and. All that sort of cities just people don't come in the city. It's a ghost town. I, I saw a picture of, of in the in Flinders Street at ten thirty on a, on a Tuesday morning. It felt like it felt like at two o'clock in the morning. There was no one there. Mm-hmm. What's going on? Well, I mean, lucky we're in Sydney. We're a bit more open. Get things going out out and about. It just I don't know. I don't know what's going on down there. Oh, doesn't it feel like a bit of a socialist trend? Like it just seems like, you know, what happens is that, you know, people, you know, you've got more people 
entering well, poverty. I know, well, I know for a fact they've, they've got the most number of public servants in Australia. Yeah, yeah but, well, well, yeah. but you know what I mean? Like, you know, what I mean, the public service about? wage bill is about $35 billion, something ridiculous, yeah. But, you know, socialism rises and then, you know, standard of living drops. You know, you're saying that, you know, there's no one's got money to go to the shops, no one's got money to buy coffees, but there are a lot more people living on the streets. I mean... Well, that's why, that's we, why it's got rid of the Commonwealth Games because just basically we can't spend their money. We've got to prioritise other things. Like, you know, and and he, a $308 million fine or something they've got to pay or something like that was some stupid amount they've got to pay? Yeah, that, that's up front. We'll still, I reckon by the time it's all, all done, it'll be 4 or $5 billion. Yeah. Well, not only that, apparently that equated to $60 per person or something. So it's a basically a ticket to go to games you can't even watch. That's right. Just who knows what's going on. And people I know still he, he did all, It was all political. It was all political. He, he won a couple of country seats, I reckon. You know, he just... What well, it's the old saying, whatever it takes, you know, to, and burn well, the people, place down. If people are voting just because they're going to get the Commonwealth Games, is that if that's the issue they're voting on, well, they get what they deserve, I think. But you're totally right. You pay for what you get. Yeah. Yeah. What was um, Barnaby saying? Um, a politician with the wrong conviction is a dangerous politician. Mm. You know, well, you know, obviously, you know, if you're in the conviction, if your conviction is socialism, yeah. Then it's the wrong it's the wrong conviction, and you can see that he's got you know it, that's where the results are heading. You know, well, speaking politics. speaking of conviction, here's a politician with a lot of conviction. Ah, uh, one second. I think people are actually though getting. Yeah. This man, so he, everyone I spoke to, and we spoke to a lot of people at at C, I spoke to a lot more people at CPAC this time than I did even last time. Um, again, it's a confidence thing, what you were saying before, um, Sam. And um, I don't think one person had one bad thing to say about this man. I think um, – oh, actually, I, I wanted to speak to him. Actually, I didn't get to speak to him. I saw him and we kind of locked eyes for a second and then he had to scoot off upstairs. But I said to – I, I, I want to know what his secret is because um, my wife will listen to his politics, but she won't listen to mine. So I want to know what his secret is. <laughs> I want to know how he doesn't have any grey hairs and he's apparently in his 40s. Yeah, well, I'm everywhere. It's quite a bit of dying, mate. <laughs> I think people are actually though getting fed up with these ideological agendas and controls being imposed on them from the top down. And I think it'll probably explains in one respect why this bill has been introduced. Because if we've learnt anything over the past two and a half years, we've learnt how language is weaponised against us. And three examples of that couldn't be more stark. The word. And we should have doomsday music behind me for saying this, but misinformation, dum, 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 disinformation, dum, 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 and the word harm, which is also the, the often overlooked cousin of misinformation and disinformation. Now, regarding COVID, misinformation and disinformation has really ultimately, when you boil it down, meant anything which contradicts the government narrative and the government health advice in the case of COVID. And many of our friends in the medical community learned that lesson the hard way after being sanctioned or, in, in this case, as we were told during estimates, um, suspended, not actually uh, not actually uh, terminated, suspended for drifting from the official narrative. What do you think, Sam? Well, he, he's obviously he's, an, he's a lawyer. Um, he, uh, you know, very articulate, stays on message, um, you know, works hard at his craft. And he's worked hard in the party. It'd be interesting. He's up for re-election um, in in two years' time. It'd be interesting if he's number one or number two on the ticket. 
Well, interestingly, in the Senate in not- South Australia. So if he's a real guide, how much you know, people vote for you know, it's a guide you know, it's between him and Simon Birmingham, a leading lefty, and uh, you know, be interesting what happens in a couple in the next twelve months. Who's number one or number two on the ticket? Yeah. And, and don't forget, so he's one he's one to quite to go against the grain a little bit. So he is one to cross the floor in the Senate. And well, there's a, there's, a, there's a group of them. There's obviously Malcolm Roberts, Pauline, Senator Babette, Matt Canavan in Queensland for the LNP, yep. Alex Antic and Jared Rennick yep. in Queensland. Um, so, like, they, if you look at Hansard and nerds like me look at that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, can you explain you what that, I know last time you explained what Hansard was, but for people that don't know what Hansard is, can you? Hansard's a recording in paper form of um, whatever they say in the parliament. It's a record. It's a record of parliament. In, in, Formal record in, minutes. Yeah. Everything word by word, you know, and, and uh, you see divisions. Or if it goes to a vote, you know who's you know who votes on what, and you just see, you know, especially on, on on COVID or some other stuff like this, where they put private members' bills up. There's half a dozen of them, and the rest of them all go the other side of the bit of the of the chamber. And uh, yeah, it's sort of like a little. It's like a little group there. They all they voted as one, and it's like a <clears throat> like a mini teal. They just they stick as one most of the time. And do you and, think uh, um, Alex Antic's in the wrong house? Problem in South Australia. There's not many liberal seats there. There's only the, well, he, unless he wants to represent the. There's two outback seats in South Australia, which basically covers north of. Adelaide. Well, does he necessarily goes... have to stay in South Australia? If, I mean, if the Liberal Party want to use him in a, a leadership sort of role. Will you tell someone in New South Wales to give up a seat? Yeah. Well, it happens. It does, it's not like it doesn't happen. I mean, if I can't recall anyone moving from a Senate from South Australia to a seat in, in Victoria. Well, didn't they find a seat for Bob, Bob Hawke? Yeah, but he was Victorian. Was he? I thought he was New South Wales. No, he's always been in Victoria. <clears throat> okay. Member for Wills in the northern suburbs of um, around um, Coburg and stuff like that. That was his electorate. Okay. So for people who don't understand what we're talking about right now, it means that they, what we're saying, he's in the upper house. And, and when you're a senator, you can't become a prime minister. You have to be in the lower house. That's so what we're talking about is if we want to move Senator Antic up into a leadership position, i.e. become the prime to become the prime minister or the leader of the Liberal Party, you would have to parachute him from a Senate, from the Senate, into a safe Liberal seat somewhere where we know he's going to get re-elected, and that so happened that he with, then um, become leader of a party and then potentially become the prime minister of Australia, which I personally think it should happen. It happened with John Gordon, didn't it, Sam? Where he was in the Senate, yeah. Uh, when he became prime minister, they had to find a lower house seat for him. That's correct. That's correct. Doesn't happen too often. Yeah, well, it's only happened once. So, um, oh, there's been like Bronwyn, Bronwyn Bishop was originally a senator from New South Wales. Oh no, but I'm saying going from the Senate to become prime minister. Obviously, people have moved. I mean, Barnaby moved. You know, different yeah, he was, he was a senator for Queen. Oh, there's one senator for Queensland. Next week, he's got a seat in New England. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah in New okay. South Wales. I think it's a hard task at, at the moment with the way the politics is leaning left um, at the moment in Australia. But I think when the pendulum swings across, it would be a move maybe for um, Senator Antic to think about if he wanted that position because obviously it's, you know, 
it's a big role. The problem, the problem with the Liberal Party in South Australia is they've only got one city seat. But mm. who else can you point to if we're looking for a leader to lead this country, apart from Alex Antic, who can you point to? I, I mentioned Jacinta Price before, but as Dr. Gary John said, she's probably not she's she's not there yet. She's got some so more just, experience to be had. But who else can you point to? Well, don't forget too, Alex Antic is a little bit he's still a bit a little bit young as well. Like if you're talking about, you know, like as far as being, you know, in, in the ha- in, in parliament. Um but I think um personally I think maybe you should do a, a dream team of Alex Antich is the and uh and Jacinta Price as the deputy until just quickly um, thinking, just quickly thinking, there's a bloke in, in this in Western Australia called um the ex SAS guy, what's his name? Yes um, from the Canning Vale from down the south. Um Andrew Hasty. Oh yep. Andrew Hasty uh, and Angus Taylor, who represents down down the there, but they they get they get maligned and and they don't get in prominent positions or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. In the um, case of Jared Rennick, they they want to remove him from pre-selection or remove him from a winnable position. Like technically, at the moment, he's gone. He didn't get. Yeah. He's just you know, it's a bit like what's happened to Sarah Venter, Car- Far- Senator Wells. No, for, for Vanty Wells. For Vanty Wells. She said, if I'm not number one or number two, don't put me on the ticket. You know, so mm. there's no point being down below if you're not. Jared Rennick would have said the same thing. If I'm not on number one, two, or three, don't put me on it. You know? Yeah. Well, so. well, we'll keep. Well, that's, I mean, a, a lot of people might be going, oh, what about Peter Dutton? I just don't think he's strong enough. He doesn't stand, he doesn't stand for anything. <laughs> Well, I know that, but it's very hard to be an opposition leader just after being losing government. But what he'll do, hopefully, what he'll be good at is try and get the sort of party out, straighten the party out. This is a two-term, maybe a two-term situation. There's no way. I, between you and me, I'm probably wrong again, be the kiss of death again. But I can't see the Liberal Party winning the next election because they're, they're just not ready to govern. You know? yeah. They've got to get their own house in order first. And it looks like they're getting this. They've got to get the candidates ready. It'd be a good test in some of these teal seats if they got can, the candidate ready twelve months out or nine months out. You know? Just to win seats back, it's a lot of hard work. I think and, um, um, Tony Abbott was speaking about. I think he's come. I think um, I think Peter Dutton's come a bit, a, a little bit across the way now, where he's starting to really push nuclear, and he's starting to really get some real good. Conservative politics are start. He's starting to show, let's say, a little bit of form. Whether he's lost too much, um, maybe whether his um, perception of not having too much enough backbone has damaged his um, stance because of like the last, you know, say six months to you know ten months of of since the election. Um, but he's starting to now show a little bit of form, i.e. Well, with at the same time, it's very hard to attack a new government. There's nothing to attack on. That's so right. Like what's happening in New South Wales, it's a new government. So basically you really can't. They've only been there for four months, so it's really hard to attack from yeah. both sides. Both sides are just basically trying to find each other's feet. Yeah, Where let them, in, let them in the sink federal... themselves with the voice and the combating misinformation and disinformation. Yeah, that, that, that's been that, but that wasn't introduced until the last couple of months. You know, the yeah. first the first nine months was all about being in glory of the party mode. We know a politician who's been in party mode for the last four or five months. 
But you know, they're they're in election victory mode. Let them make a few mistakes. Let them point out a few policy differences. Obviously, they've made mistakes with the power saving. You're going to save two hundred seventy-five dollars. Well, that, that was that's pie in the sky. That's cost us five hundred seventy-five dollars extra. You know, um, so you can campaign on that. Obviously, campaign on the yes vote. You know, campaign on um, Britain cost of living. You know? mm-hmm. So all that sort of stuff here. He, he can't, but the first 12 months you let let the government be government, but at the same time you're trying to clean up your own mistakes, you know, people who don't want to be in the parliament, like for example, with due respect, Scamo should have been out of the parliament within six months, you know, I don't know what he's trying to do there, he's trying to get some new blood in, in a safe seat, you know, so... Well- well, let's let's move on. I haven't got a clip of this next panel, but this was interesting. This was a panel called From Left to Right and included Warren Mundine, Veron Jones, who's a Democrat from America, uh, Tanya Mihalik from One Nation, and Dr. Gary Johns, who was formerly Labor. Now, all these politicians were formerly left, now on the right. Uh, Adam, did you find this one interesting? I did find it interesting because they all kind of you know, the saying goes that they didn't leave the party, the party left them. So they all kind of, that's, you know, four different people there talking about um, the left of politics and the right of politics and the parties that they were pretty dedicated to and that how that they all believe that the parties left them. So, um, you know, it's like, you know, that's, you're getting a good cross-section now. A little bit of American politics was in there with that, what was his name, Veron? Veron Jones. Veron Jones. Yeah. Um, he's a funny character, that guy. I, you know, he's, a, he's he was good and brought a few laughs. I did. I watched this speech. I thought Tanya Mahalik spoke um, very well. And I thought, um, you know, obviously, you know, Warren Mundine spoke very well as well um, about it. Um, Gary Johns, we've had him on the show, a previous guest as well. So, you know, um, we know what they, they're talking about. And, you know, they're, it's about... What I was trying to say before is that they they have a, a difference. They're on the you know they have the alternative narrative that they're trying to get across, and they were all saying how the party would not listen. Not it's not about it's not about the it's not about them changing policy and stuff like that. But they don't even give them a time the time to to explain and and show evidence and maybe form policy based on that. It's basically no, that's not the narrative. That's not what we're doing. See you the hell later, and then they basically slammed the door in their faces, and it happened to all of them. So it comes back to you know, Labor Party was strong in the seventies and eighties under what might sound is the old Sussex Street New South Wales Sussex Street machine of the Labor Party right, who were for, who were Catholics. They worked. You know, they they used to say, and we know, you know, Malaysia was one of them too. Um, Tanya's part of, was part of it. She'd be she'd be a senior minister if she was around twenty five years ago, because she was yes. conservative Labor, and, and they and they were part of it. Keating, like with yeah. Laurie Brereton, Leo McClay, uh, yeah. John Ducker, John O. Johnson, Graham Richardson. They were hardworking union people, but they worked hard, partied hard, and they went to church on Sundays. You know, that's right, and then so, repented. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you still, I know they they put their money in the tray, saying that's all. Forgive me for what I've done for the last six days, you know. But the life goes on, you know. You wake up yeah. Monday morning, you're back into the grind again. Yeah. Um, so Tanya, and then um, to a point, Warren. You know, Warren's up from the from the mid north coast of far north coast of of Grafton Way and stuff like that. That's always you, you know. You you went to work and you worked hard and you 
played hard and you, and you, you rest on Sunday and some of them went to church on Sunday morning. Yep. Or walk home with the family back to around the corner. Yeah. Yep. Life was much more. Can the labour right resurrect itself? Sorry? Can the labour right resurrect itself? Not that it was, was in the days of, of Keating and Richardson and all those sort of blokes I've just quoted you in the 70s and 80s. I don't think they can. No, I don't think they can. Okay. I, I really don't think because the problem, those people, most of them, those most of those blokes were from the Shorten Union, but most were, were from the branches. And the branch structure of both all parties are not strong as now. We're, and let's explain it for people that if you hear about factions within political parties, well, within the Labor Party, there's factions everywhere, but the two main factions of the left and the right, there's the centre and there's the union faction as well. Like it's all split up further than that, but yeah, uh, yeah. now it's, yeah, as, I think as you were going to say, Sam, now it's just basically the left, isn't it? At the moment, especially in Victoria, it's basically the socialist left of, of Dan Andrews and things like that. They basically run, they've got 85% of the thing. Where in New South Wales, they're not a left wing, but they're a bit more smarter than that. They, the right wing, there's still the right wing influence in Sussex Street, which pulls them in the line a bit to a point. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't know much about Victorian politics, but certainly in New South Wales, the inner city Labor people are from the left. Are you going to ignore anything west of Stratfield, you know, anything uh, the central case or down in Wollongong? It's all run by the right. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we'll keep moving. Our next speaker was Alan Jones. Now, he probably gave the best speech of the whole event, but it went for too long, in my opinion. He spoke for how, how long was it, Sam? Almost an hour or so? Good, A good hour, mate. Good hour. Which, you know, I guess that's what you pay for, but uh, I think if he, if he tailed it back half an hour, it would have been even better, but... It just goes to show sometimes you don't have to speak forever, but this is a short clip of The Alan. thing is that I think that we have to accept that what we stand for will lead to us being intimidated and bullied and vilified and condemned and cancelled, but we won't be silenced. We won't be silenced. So... Uh, what do you think? He raised he raised a lot of issues. He's always well researched, Alan. I think he pulled out every quote that he's got and every fact and figure in in this speech. Definitely well worth listening to. But uh, did it drag on too long for you? No doubt, no doubt, went too long, way way too long. But uh, he was the last speaker on Saturday. He had basically the the call, the call of the floor. Uh, everyone seemed to be intent listening to him. Um, mm. Yeah, but. <laughs> Obviously, he's, you know, he's still got fire in the belly. I'm surprised his health would look. He, he didn't have a walking stick with him, so which which I found surprisingly. So he looked like he was walking okay. I was really pleasant, pleasantly surprised that his health looks okay. Yeah. All right. So that was day one. Um, which one was the better day for you, uh, Sam? Oh no, that the first day. And what was your highlight from the first day? It doesn't necessarily have to be in terms of speakers or anything. What? Talking to anybody, talking to anybody who wanted to talk to me. <laughs> I think you talked to everyone, right? I did, Joe. I ran them down, mate. I ran them down. What about you? I wanted Adam? to talk. One, one ex one ex parliamentary staffer didn't want to talk to me too much, but um, <laughs> what he said to me was quite, quite. <laughs> you didn't have to say too much, but it didn't have me. We know the bloke. Adam wouldn't know the guy, but uh, 
for certain persons watching it tomorrow morning, um, he'll know who I'm talking about. It wasn't too it wasn't too complimentary of some his ex, ex his ex boss. That's uh that's very very cryptic of you. Uh, not the yeah yeah I'll, I'll, I'll stay at that I'll, I won't go too far on that one. Um, I really uh, liked um, the first yeah. day was good because I got to meet all a lot of our um, people that we interviewed in person. Yeah. So I got to meet yeah. Catherine Deves. You know, she was you know wonderful in just just as wonderful in real life as she was um, you know on our show. Um, yeah. Again, I got Did to. Did she remember? Yes, yes, yes. She knew good. who I was. And it was good, so that was nice. And um, it's a bit Everyone hard to forget. Expanders, mate. Everyone knows, but it's hard to forget me as well, you know, bald head and big beard. And I can tell you I, there was only about four people, there was only about four people in that whole um, conference with a beard and my one was the longest one. So, you know, I stand out just a touch. Um, but um, he was, she was um, very good um, and, you know, it was good to hear about her progress with uh, uh, Tickle and Giggle. And um, the case that she's been working on that she was speaking about on our interview. And I liked, um, it was great again to see um, Professor Plymer and have a bit of a conversation with him. And um, yeah, so it was, that's, I think day one was a bit of a highlight. Um, it was pretty good, but I got there a lot earlier than I did today. So, you know, that, you know what it's like, Stephen. You know, it's it's not about going to watch the conference. It's about what happens behind the scenes of the conference. It's all the, it's yeah. it's not actually in there watching them speak. It's everyone comes out during the and they all they all mingle um, outside of it. It's, it happens before and at the dinners and stuff. So it's um, yeah. So that was good to see a lot of those people. Uh, and we might skip uh, Pauline Hanson because I think we've got a little bit to discuss once we get to Pauline and some other issues, but um, Gary, Dr. Gary John spoke. Um, obviously, Adam just mentioned that we've had him on the show before. So, uh, so this is Dr. Gary Johns. I am part of a group called Recognise a Better Way, and we're campaigning solidly against the referendum, and we'll do so right through until October 14 or, or whenever it is. But we are a bit different, and I want to applaud uh, Advance Australia, uh, CPAC itself, uh, Quadrant Magazine, uh, The Spectator, all of those people are helping to give voice against this ridiculous notion of a race-based voice where we'd have one group alone would have collective rights in the Australian Constitution, which would be appalling. You know about um, you were talking about how um, even though they're not ministers anymore, they can still be of use and still of value. Well, from our interview with Dr. Gary Johns, he was across. He was the minister for Aboriginal Affairs, so he was quite well across. Um, you know their need. If anybody really kind of knew what they need and what could be done to fix their issues and kind of bridge the so-called gap and things like that. He's somebody that you can learn from. I mean, I don't understand why it seems to be in politics they're not interested in learning from people with experience and, and hearing what people with experience have to say. And um, it's you know, all about agenda. Yeah, they don't care about what's right or wrong. Yeah. So being across, being across, you know, being an, an indigenous affairs minister and being across the topic quite well, 
you, he, you think that, you know, or, you know, you think, um, you know, the Albanese government might call upon him for a bit of knowledge. Obviously, like what you were saying, it doesn't meet their agenda because he's obviously on the opposite side of things and he's an outcast. But why wouldn't liberals contact him and, and, and maybe, you know, get a little bit of information from him, um, you know, being on the, you know, the conservative side of politics? Hmm. Yeah, plenty to learn. Well, speaking of plenty to learn, this was uh, a good friend from last week, Professor Ian Plymer. Yes. I also point out that there are many kids your age who are getting a meal cooked and it's using an electric appliance or a gas appliance, whereas a third of the world um, don't have that. They have to use dung, leaves, twigs, whatever they can have for a fire, a low-temperature fire that releases a lot of carcinogens. They die young, as do their mothers. That's not fair. So don't you winch about it. I talk about the fact that 30% of the world, if they want to go out and have a poo, they've got to go into the bush. There is no toilet. So I'm trying to kill off that teenage argument about it's not fair. Um, yeah, it brings up a funny point for you, Adam. Remember the crikey? Came after yes. you because you used the same analogy. I did. I got. I got. I tried. Well, they tried to write a hit piece against me when I spoke at the uh, Climate and Energy Forum, and um, I I used that analogy as well. That they use that, um, especially in India, they use a lot of dung to cook with. Okay, you know, there's a, it's a, it's an, it's you know, there's cow poo everywhere. They can burn it and use it as a, a cheap source of energy. Um, and then I got abused because, oh, but what about the spiritual rights and spiritual side of burning poo? Well, spiritual things are a little bit different than having to heat and cool your house or cook with. You know, a spiritual, we, in, in Christianity we have, um, you know, Palm Sunday and we burn the ashes and, and they, you know, put the ashes around in church and things like that. You know, that's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a ceremony. It's, it's spiritual. Um, that's a choice, you know what I mean? And that's not every day or that's not every minute of the day or whatever it is. You know, how often do you, you know, we, uh, Ian Plymer there makes a very good point. We go, we take it for granted. We go to the fridge, you know, a hundred times a day. You know, we go to, uh, um, you know, turn the stove on and it's electricity or gas and we turn the air conditioning on, it's electricity. You know, it's clean. It, the, the the pollution is, if you even call it pollution, um, it's far away and in a controlled space it's not being um emitted in your actual home so um you know and this is this argument is you know with my, by my research when i did my speech you know like people burn poo and i'm going to be honest with you my argument was that if we keep going down the energy road we're going on aussies are going to jump the cow paddock fences and go and get cow poo and burn it in their homes too I mean, well, it's crazy to think, you know, we think of ourselves as being the apex of human civilization, but to think of how many people around the world are still in poverty and still without technology and even just proper housing and, and as Ian Plymer said, just having a simple thing like a toilet in your house. It's just, uh, yeah. Especially in China and India, the two biggest world's populations are still on the Probably twenty five percent, and certainly in China, would still be in abject poverty. You know, God knows what the percentage is in India. You know? Well, that's that was so interesting when I read his um, the first book of his, the little the little green book for for ankle biters. That he talks about that. 
how much bacteria, you know, like how much bacteria is in feces and um, how toxic it actually is. And if you're in a poor country and you're pooing in the street or behind your house or wherever you are and it rains and that gets down your uh, – that that uh, breaks down and, and travels down your makeshift dirt road into your water supply, okay, that 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 – toxifies the water no wonder why they die so young and they're so sick i mean these things modern society okay cheap energy has given us that ability to um to to not have those issues so when we talk about what um the industrial revolution using fossil fuels is has done it is taking us taken us out of poverty and taking and, and kept let's say the shit out of the street you know, we don't shit where we eat, whereas, unfortunately, people use shit to cook their food that they eat. And this is a scary, this is a scary point. Well, I've, read some st- I've read some stuff from 120 years ago, so especially in, in Sydney where it was open sewers and a lot of people yes. would die of dysentery yeah. and stuff like that 100 years ago. Yeah. I, knew, I knew an old bloke who was born 1899 or 1901. Didn't miss out. He served in the Second World, just missed out on the First World War, and he died about late 90s. He said Sydney, especially on the north, uh, in the Sydney, where there was open sewers and people mm-hmm. would swim in it and stuff like that. And yeah, you can still. And, yeah, and if you, you got a bad infection or something like in technology, say, a hundred in the 20s after the First World War, yeah. you know, the average age of people would, would you know, if you get lived to 60, you know, you're done well. You know? yeah. Now we, we take it for granted we'll get to 60 most of the time. You can still do tours of the tanks stream in Sydney, and before that they built the stream, it was just an open stream. That's and right. The big thing was, uh, you know, it was meant to be for their drinking water, but people would start washing their clothes in there, and as you said, people would start going to the toilet in there, and it was causing massive issues, and they no, had to really do something 40, about it. Forty years ago, I went. To, I did my apprenticeship. I went out to Rhodes when there was an ICI chemical factories and stuff around there where there's high-rise apartments on, on Concord Road now. Well, in those days, there was ICI chemical factories and they would dump all their, in those days, dump all the sewer into the Parramatta River. And it was it's just, people just take it for granted now. And it's, people just don't realise they're, they're in the first world and they don't realise how, how bad other people are, you know? Yeah, but if you think yeah, of first world yeah. issues, at least you can go home and get a bed and all that sort of stuff. Half of these people around the world can't. Yet we're in a climate crisis. The world's going to end, Sam. Ah, I've been through the nuclear threat in the 80s. We, we just lived on and lived life as normal, mate. They pressed the button, so be it, you know? Well, this, is, is, that not, is, that not what, is that not what we do? You know, I mean, like, you know, if, if the world's going to, like, if, well, if the world's going to end tomorrow, well, what are you going to do? Sit there and that's right. Oh, live it. Live mate, live like it. You know, go live. And, and all these doomsdays. And remember, remember this story years ago. It was five to midnight, five seconds to midnight before you know, Gorbachev or Ronald Reagan was going to press that button code and bomb the hell out of us. You know, it never happened. Yeah. Thank God. Thank God it yeah. never happened. Well, another another guy that was active uh, in CPAC, and we all got the chance to meet him, was Matthew Camanzuli. Don't have a clip of his him speaking on stage, but he was very good on stage. He was on stage with Ross Cameron as well. But I've I've got a small clip of him here. This is more him promoting his uh, his page on 
on Twitter, but we we'll, might as well play it now just to, so everyone can know who we're talking about. Hi, Matt Camanzoli here at CPAC, having a great day. We'll be speaking today at 3.40pm on the Work Corporations. It'll be live streamed on ADH TV. Why don't you tune in and join us? So, uh, Sam, you know, what, what did you think of Matt? He was, he was interviewing a lot of people. We interviewed myself, which was uh, pretty cool. Uh, but maybe for people that don't know who Matthew Camanzoli is, do you want to just maybe let everyone know what his uh, story Matthew's is? Matthew's a self-made IT man and done very well in life. Um, you know, come from, from Italy. Um, his parents came here in the 50s and 60s, or the 60s, I think he said to me. And uh, he's, he's a good man that's made good. Now, he, he's a, now he's been in politics for the last 15, 20 years with the Liberal Party and got to the state executive. And um, unfortunately, he got kicked off. He took on Scott Morrison in pre-selections and all that sort of stuff like that. And he wants to make Liberal Party good, party great again and stuff like that. So um, he's, you know, he's battling the way through and... Um, he could seize people's abilities and trying to get the best out of them, and I think he sees something in you, Steve. You know, deep down. You know. Well, I've heard him speak about the "We Believe" statement that Robert, Sir Robert Menzies, used as a template for the Liberal Party when they it was it was a few years after the Liberal Party was established, but they used it really as a template for what the Liberal Party stood for. And he's yeah. making the argument: you've moved away from that. Let's go back to that. It's a very simple document. It's only one page, and there's probably I think there's about 17 points on on there of what the Liberal Party should stand for. Yeah, you know, the individual they should stand for the crown. Issues like that. Let's let's go back to that. You've the moved, forgotten people. You know, yeah, that's right. The Liberal Party's moved so far away from where it should have been or should be, and he's mm. trying to drag it back. So he's a, he's an interesting character and. Uh, Adam, you even got a chance to speak to him too, right? Yeah, you know, like, you know, he's just a personable kind of guy. Like, I wouldn't have known that he was well-to-do. I, you know, you know, he speaks at a, a street level. Um, you know, we're out, the, <laughs> we're out the front having a smoke. Uh, you know what I mean? So that's all good. Um, I like blokes like that. I like just your re- regular knockabout bloke kind of living the Australian dream. The family comes here, they work hard, they put their nose to the grindstone, and they make something of themselves. I mean, that's the dream. I mean, that's the Australian dream. Everyone wants that. And I, I applaud people and support people who, um, who, who stand for that. So you know, all power to him. I wish him the best in the future. And I'm sure that um, our relationship will get stronger as we uh, start doing more of these events and things like that. So, Matt, well, I've got, I've got, a, I've got a clip from his, uh, his Twitter page. This is not related to CPAC. But I might just play a clip. Of the of um of uh, Matt Cameron's order, just quickly, so so people kind of know what we're what we're speaking about. Look, I think what's wrong with the system at the moment is that people have started to slowly believe that they're there to serve their government, and they've forgotten that the government is there to serve them. So you have a real problem with with uh, uh, the, the basics of of life at the moment, being able to you know pay your mortgage, being able to pay your rent, being able to even the basics of even eating. Um, I think people are struggling. I think we're all struggling in our own way. People are being retrenched. Businesses are going bankrupt. Um, and, and things just feel like they're wrong and they're off. And we're serving a system that's no longer serving us. Why? The question's why. Do we have to serve a system 
that's so broken and out of control? And, and who let it get this broken in the first place? I mean, we're stuck in this, in this, in this rut uh, as, a, as a people, I think. Um, and there are winners, very small few winners, and just a whole bunch of the rest of us that are doing everything we can to try and, you know, survive. And, you know, small and medium businesses are in the same boat as their staff. They're trying to survive as well. So that's a little bit of a clip of uh, Matthew Camazzoli. What do you guys He's think? He's a man of conviction. He's a man of convention. Convention. Can. Conviction. Conviction. Tongue twister. <laughs> well, we should try to get him on the show, Stephen. Oh, my. I thought yeah. you that was what you had him by now. That would be a good episode, I must say. That you know, it'd be interesting because he's. Uh, he, this is the guy that took Scott Morrison to court over pre-selection issues. I mean, that's an interesting story in itself. So, he's definitely not um, afraid of of backing down from a fight, and that's what I think cost him his position on the New South Wales State Executive. So, yeah, maybe we maybe we can hopefully have him on in the future, but. Uh, I guess for people that are interested in what he's doing, just head to his Twitter page, yeah. Matthew Mazzoli. I mean, all those interviews that he did at CPAC, he interviewed everyone. Uh, uh, you know, he's, he's very active, very busy, so check it out. Every time, we saw him, every time we saw him, he was in the back corner interviewing someone, wasn't he? Yeah, but he was friendly as well. Like, he'd, you know, he'd, every time he'd pass you, you'd have Good something. people person, good people person, you know, talks ordinary to – just talks ordinary to everybody else, you know. In the, on the uh, yeah, yeah. all like right, it's a part of a movement. Yeah, so let's talk about a good people person. The fight, well, the final speaker that we that we have to talk about. Uh, I guess we can't go past what's been happening with One Nation in the last week. Um, this uh, this Facebook post by uh, Mark Latham is in response to um, what's, what's really been happening in the party. Uh, it all started with um, Pauline Hanson coming in and dissolving the New South Wales State Executive. Um, now, for full disclosure, I was on that executive and now I'm no longer part of that executive. Um, basically, there's nothing that any of us can say that hasn't been in the media already. Everything has been leaked. There's even been things that have been leaked that I wasn't aware of. So I think we're free to kind of uh, speak about this, and I don't think we should back away from speaking about this because that's not what this podcast would be about, just for us to hide. I mean, we're, we're talking about with people with conviction and then for us to shy away from this issue uh, would just not be right. But... There's a lot that we don't know, and there's a lot. And if, if a lot of people came up to us this weekend and said, "What's happening? What's happening next?" and what can we say? We don't know what's going to happen next. So, uh, I, I guess Mark Mark's response, all he's uh, really basically said at this point is this um, this post that he made on on Facebook, and which is headed. Latham rejects Queensland control of New South Wales One Nation and it talks about uh, the new executive being set up and he's pushing back against the the narrative that, that Pauline is putting forward that the New South Wales election result was a failure for um, 
for New South Wales One Nation and that we went back 14%, which I think is definitely a play on on statistics and numbers. And Mark is uh, saying that um, he's planning to use parliamentary privilege on Tuesday uh, to, I guess, say what he needs to say. Um, my issue with all of this uh, is obviously there's a spat between Paul and Mark, and we know in all political parties there's always clashes with personalities and there's also always, you know, place for leadership and leadership spills. But the narrative that Pauline has been using, that the New South Wales election result from New South Wales One Nation was poor, I know she's using that to attack Latham, but it also attacks the people that were involved on the ground, the the candidates, the volunteers, the members. That This is my view, and I know I'm not speaking for Adam, I'm not speaking for Sam on this, but this is my view that it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, it was not a poor result. There was plenty of success in that election campaign. All the lower house candidates worked their butts off. They worked their asses off. I did some work with a lot of them, MK Singh and Adam and uh, Steve Bush up in Hornsby, Luke Tessa out at, um, at Londonderry, Rebecca Thompson, you know, and even the other candidates, Gary Dolan, Martin Stevenson, uh, Quinton King. Quinton King was in the two-party preferred in his seat of Cessnock. Now, the only, I mean, obviously everyone was pointing to One Nation and saying, hey, you're going to get two upper house candidates in, or two upper house members in. We only got one. But the Liberal Democrats are patting themselves on the back and celebrating about a 3.5% vote, share of the vote, and they got one person in. Well, One Nation got someone voted in in their own right that and only went back 1% in their upper house uh, vote from the 2019 election. I don't think we can paint the election result as a failure because there are a lot of good people that stood on polling booths in that orange shirt, you know, with a lot of abuse. All parties cop abuse, but we copped abuse as well at different at different points. But we still stand there because we believe, people believe in this party and they worked their asses off and, to, and for the leader to come out and say that it was a failure, I just don't think is acceptable. But Adam and Sam, obviously you guys are, part of the party as well so i'll let you guys speak for yourself but that's my view um obviously looking back from we had that commentary about a couple months ago and you know i was talking to a couple of people over uh, around the around the traps and you know i was was talking to someone from the legalized cannabis party and they they think that like they got 3.6 percent 3.7 percent of the vote and they're convinced that a third of them were ex one nation voters you know and another trend is that obviously John Ruddick took votes off us to a point, but they did work hard. They coordinated and their strategy paid off. So good luck to, to John and the LDP. Give credit where credit's due. But I think the mitigate, and one, another, uh, another, incident, another thing that, that hasn't been pointed out, especially in country areas, and it, and it was only those couple of independent, in the two back seats of the, of the state, who, that they voted for the independent in the lower house, and what they did was, just looking at the stats, that the the vote in the for the Liberal coalition and the Labor Party both went up very high 
off a load base from 2019. So it was almost a reverse strategy where they voted for the independents in the lower house but went back to the majors in the upper house, which was the opposite generally effect of that, especially in those, you know, those remote seats out the two back seats in the, in the state. Um, so that that's a mid factor of what what's happened there, and I think what's happened is this cool hard politics of what's happened, and obviously personalities have come into play, and everyone's stretching stretching their own agenda and things like that. Um, be interesting what happens in Queensland because I know this is going to be controversial that he you know, Pauline did an agreement with the Catter Party in Western Queensland. Let's see what happens in fourteen months' time when they go to the election. That they 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 don't do a deal with the with the Catter Party like we did it like in New South Wales. Obviously, they did a deal with the Shooters and Fishers Party. It's not running in the seats in the, on the other side of the, of the um in the country seats. So, it, 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 once again, it can work both ways. You know, so it's been a sorry. It's obviously been building up for months and months, if not years. So. Let's see what happens in the next couple of days. We'll certainly know. We'll certainly have a clearer picture by this time Sunday night. That's for next Sunday night. But unfortunately, I hope I hope there's a lot between me and the in the post stick. You know, let's let's hope there's a there's a compromise at this late stage. That that the message he sent out this morning wasn't a great, you know, wasn't a great message. You know, what I interpret is basically he's, he's bailing out. So, which is which I don't want to, I certainly don't want it to happen. Yeah. Anyone who reads that statement tells you what the, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm a year 10 dropout, but fair income, that, that tells me that he's out. You know? So, what, what it says is be willing to walk alone. Many who started with you won't finish with you. What does that tell you? Well, it's it's very cryptic, and I don't think you can read into everything. No, no, I maybe I'm I'm too I basic. Maybe I'm a basic human being, but that's you know, you know, I, you know, I, I, I I like Mark. I like Rod. I like Tanya. You know, I think the world of politics is um, a very um, live kind of place. Things chop and change a lot, and a lot lot happens at the last minute and the last hour. So I think that um, my my viewpoint on this whole situation is that um, I don't think anybody really really does know what's going on, um, apart from the key key players and the key people that this is involving. So all I know is that um, Australia needs one nation, New South Wales needs one nation, and I think that um, every political party has their issues and unfortunately with a minor party like ours and with being um i guess at such a i guess where everyone's looking for you know everyone looks everyone looks for you to fail i think people like to see failure and um, put it on the perch and i think um you know people have been hunting around for anything that they can get on one nation to kind of you know put them down fact of the matter is is that one nation does keep other parties honest and that um, that we have strong characters and strong people in Parliament. Um, I hope that um, it does sort out. I hope at the last, when the gong goes, you know, five minutes before midnight, Sam, is that, um, you know, things get worked out. And as I said... Adam, I hope you're right, mate. Mate, from the bottom of my heart, I, don't, I hate this as much as you have. 
Well, we're on, we're, think... on the out, we're on the outside of it. I want to acknowledge that, um, you know, my, I have, you know, that the candidates did work very hard um, in the in the state election, just like they did in the federal election. Um, I think that you can't because what happens at um, leadership level, you know, sometimes the sometimes I'm not and I'm. I'm talking about like in an employment kind of issue now. Sometimes all the workers in the factory work really, really hard and sometimes a boss makes a bad decision or sometimes leadership might make a bad decision. And then what happens is I'm likening I'm likening this a little bit to um, the Chicago Bulls in the late 90s when they got rid of all their – they didn't renew the contracts for all their key players. And what they decided to do is that for the future – they needed to um, start at ground level again and rebuild a new team because everyone, all their key players were too old. And I think that um, I think this is a bit of a shake-up at ground level to try and um, see if, if we can't become a bit more of a political powerhouse in the future. So I hope that um, through this that um, our name doesn't get tarnished as a political party. I do believe, and I'm still, I'm still loyal to the to the party i believe in the policies and i believe in what they're doing is in the right interest of of the australian people in australia and i hope that um something like this gets sorted out um admirably um you know and what happens is that we can become a better and stronger party in the future and that we can turn look back at this next year and say well this was a part of our history but then this is where we've come from it and I think that's what people need to worry. I think we've got to. I think we need to let it play out as it's going to play out. And until we know more facts, I don't think we should really speculate on on what's happening, which way or, or the other. Well said, Adam. Yeah, I, 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 I totally, I totally agree with you. I, I just hope something gets sorted out. You know. Yeah. Well, if we've all had messages around town and say what's going on, and I've said let's hope that there's a compromise. Just. Well, from you, 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 you mentioned what they're doing in Parliament. I think from that perspective, you can't fault any of them, whether it be Malcolm Roberts or or Pauline Hanson in the in the Senate, Mal, uh, Mark Latham, Rod Roberts, and Tanya Mihalik in the New South Wales Upper House, Sarah Game in the South Australian Upper House, who's she's a rising star, fantastic yeah. person, and Ricky Lee Terrell. Um, in the in the Victorian Parliament and uh, Stephen Andrews in the in the Queensland Parliament, they're doing everything that we want them to do. That's right. They're fighting for the issues that are important, and they all have conviction in their own way. They're all they're all doing the the right thing. But uh, uh, this is definitely a, a very disappointing uh, situation for. Just the people on the ground, they're the people that I'm concerned with, the, the volunteers. It's the members, it's the workers, the candidates. We know a couple of candidates are, are confused of what the hell's going on. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm going to make a call out to the candidates. This is, this is, this is, this is our job. This is a, as a candidate's job. This is a – reach out. To continue with your meetings, okay? Reach out to your, your pe- the people who worked really hard for you. Um, thank them again and continue to do what you're meant to do. Continue your conviction. Continue with what you what you joined the party and set out to do because, unfortunately, that's the, that's the only light that we have. 
that's what I'm going to do. I mean, I'll speak to all my. I've had all my. I've had constituents of mine. I've had supporters. I've had my um, little branch members and things like that that I've got that I'm slowly building. I, I, you know, we've we're trying to build branches. We're trying to um, keep the the party name going and the brand going out in our, in our areas. Um, steadfast. Head true north. Just head north. Just do the right thing. Do what you're doing. Do keep going because you're you haven't changed. It's not you. It's not at you. It's not personal. Okay. There's business to be done. There's business that has to happen. There's business decisions that need to be made. That's what happens. That's that's life. It doesn't matter if you're in a political party. It doesn't matter if you're a small business, and it doesn't matter if you're a big business. Okay. Let's make once the decisions, once the cards fall, once the hands dealt, then we deal with it. Until then, okay, it's just potluck. But um, it doesn't mean that your area has to, has to suffer. Campbelltown's not going to suffer from, you know, from 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 you know, from from leadership issues or leadership whatever that whatever it is. You know, I'm still going to have my meeting. I've still got a meeting scheduled in for people who I want to run council with. Okay, and we're going to we're going to we'll sit down and talk about branch, and we'll sit down and and, and continue to build the brand because we are the brand. We are the brand, the people, the members. The volunteers, the supporters, okay. That's that's we are the brand, and we 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 drive this party. And um, Pauline said it um, at at uh, CPAC, and um, and that's the focus. Get your kids involved, okay. Everyone, everyone, everyone who follows conservative politics is around about fifty, you know, 45, 50, 60. You've all got kids. You've all got grandkids. Get them involved in politics. Get them speaking. Get them talking about the conservative side of things. And 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 let's get our voice heard. Sam, any final comments? I just hope I just hope deep down that there's a compromise at this late late situation. That's all. Just I can't see it happening. That's my personal opinion. I might be wrong again. I'm hoping. He's been I'm wrong, wrong before. He's um, been wrong before, guys. Don't worry. Don't lose Ah. For me, it's one step forward and going two steps back. And there's just we get eight, we get eighty percent right, we but twenty percent we get it wrong, and then the then the see how the press just pounded life to a point. You know, but tarnish the name again. There's another failure there. You know, just, just communications and. Hmm. Yeah, there's, there's definitely. I mean, I, this this all comes down to a lack of, of communication. But uh, for me, I'd always voted for the Liberal Party. I'd always identified with the Liberal Party, especially strong leaders like John Howard. I think we all did. I think a lot of people that are in minor parties are disaffected Liberal voters, and they think about better times when we did have strong leadership, and we look to. People like Pauline Hanson and Mark Latham are strong leaders and uh, unfortunately in this instance they haven't been, I guess, communicating enough to be able to resolve this issue. But I've said this story plenty of times on the podcast. I came into One Nation because of what was happening during the pandemic and with the mandates and I did look around at other parties and I really liked what uh, Malcolm Roberts and, and Pauline Hanson we're doing in the Senate and I felt like I needed to stand up for my area and for my family and 
and push back against everything that was happening in the pandemic. And then Mark Latham reached out to me and he was the only person that reached out to me. I emailed a whole bunch of different politicians and, and media and all sorts of people. And he had the decency to not just reply to my email, but to actually call me out of the blue to try and help me to get my job back. Uh, he wasn't successful in helping me get my job back, but the uh, just he was doing his job as a as a parliamentarian to to help one of his constituents, and I really respect that, and I have a certain loyalty to Mark Latham because of that. I don't always agree with with everything that he does, and uh, you know he, he's a bit of a complex character, and I wouldn't say I click with him the best, but I always have a, a certain degree of uh, respect and loyalty for him for doing that for me. But I come on this podcast and I talk about the Liberal Party moving away from its its members and they shouldn't accept that and if, if they shouldn't just vote for the Liberal Party like it's a football team. I know, Sam, you know, a few days ago you are telling me I've always had the, the one football team and I've always had the one, you know, rock band that I've always followed and I've always had the I've, it's always just been one and I'll, I'll always have one nation I said yeah but Sam it's not a football team and it's not meant to be viewed as a football team and Adam you'll know this Sam Sam you're out with me every night letter boxing and on the polling booths and you've been you've been with me and uh and, and in a lot of ways uh, when my campaign wasn't going so well, you came along and you picked me up and you said, "Come on, someone carry on, son. Let's just do this on the, you know, just let's do this properly. Let's do what we can and pick yourself up and let's let's get through this and and have have the best showing." And we have been working our asses off since we put our hands up for this. Adam, I know you work your, your ass off. We started this podcast off our own initiative. Uh, we've been grateful to have a lot of One Nation uh, members of parliament and candidates on this podcast, which has been incredible support, but we haven't received any formal support from the party. We've done this completely off our own back. We've gone to all the meetings from here to Newcastle. And for me, I wasn't notified that I was removed from the state executive uh, there was an email that was sent out that was later leaked to the media, and that's the first place that I read it, was in the media. Uh, the only way that I found out that I was removed was a phone call from our state director. And then I had to reach out to the national secretary to ask for an explanation as to why I was removed, and all I was told was don't take it personally. Well, look, I know that's politics and I know that's the political system, but for me... Uh, there was a period of time where I didn't know why I was removed and I still don't really know why I was removed and I felt like I was a villain. I was being treated like a villain and uh, for someone that's, um, you know, worked hard for for One Nation over, you know, almost two years with the party, I think it's come to a point where I'm just going to have uh, to move on to another path and uh, and leave my time with One Nation behind. Uh, that doesn't mean that I can't join the party again in the future, and maybe that will that will happen in some capacity. I'll still support a lot of the candidates that I've become very good friends with and who I respect, people like Adam and people like Martin Stevenson, people like MK Singh, who just, you know, they're, they're in it, uh, you know, for what they believe in and they truly believe 
that they're standing up for the communities and, and their conviction and what they believe, and I'll support those people always. But I, for the, at this moment in time, I'm just going to have to uh, cease being a member of One Nation and uh, and then move on to something else. Well, you know, that's well the said. Beauty of, well said. Yeah. yeah, that's the you know, and that's the beauty for democracy and the beauty beauty of politics. And you know, you need to be like Barnaby said, a man of conviction, and you need to follow your path. And yeah. I support you for your decisions. And mate, that's got nothing to do with our friendship or anything like that. So. You know, like, mate, I loved you before, while you remember, I'll love you after I remember, mate. So it's all all well and good, you know. So, um, yeah, you know, that's exactly what exactly what I'd say to free thick and thin. You know? Yeah, is what it is, you know. And if that's you feel right. that way, then you got to you got to be, you know, you. Uh, and I like these stupid woke word, woke words, but you know, be true to yourself, and you do what you need to do to make sure that you. You know, we've always said this to ourselves. You know, you got to do what you got to do and let, make sure you sleep at night, and that's mm. really important. And that's yeah. really important. So, you and, know, none, is- none of us know if we're doing the right thing, but we have to make the best decision uh, based on the available evidence at the time, and that's all you can do in life. And uh, you'll make mistakes, but you've just got to be the best person that you possibly can be, and you don't always know the full story, but sometimes you have to make uh, tough decisions, but you, but that's life. That's how you yeah. learn and move forward. Well, learn you from your, learn from your experiences and stuff like that, and and become better after that. You know? look at mm-hmm. look at the podcast. I said to you, we, we said early on, you know, you, you were a novice early on. Now you just look, look at the, we've been going for a while now. This 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 podcast and feeling we haven't had, we haven't done any agenda. We're just we're just talking as if must be a radio disc jockey and turning up at one o'clock and just go for three or four hours, you know. Yeah. yeah. Didn't need any, didn't need any experience. He just knew what to do, and he went from bang. And this is progress. Yeah. This is a bump in the road. I will certainly be friends and and uh, certainly will be. I'll be following you and advising you. So, Don't worry, mate. We'll set the world on fire somehow. Somehow. Yeah. One way or the other. Hopefully life. one day. You know, hopefully one day you'll end up in Canberra, walking into those. Into those big pearly gates, you know. Yeah, yeah. and realize it's a, a shit fight. <laughs> why am I, I, I here? <laughs> I got to be honest with you. I think I think we all, through our experience, realize that it's a shit fight. Yeah, like it, it is just a shit fight. But unfortunately, I mean, not unfortunately. I mean, that's the way it is. The, the, the fact of the matter is, is that we, I think, um, Christopher Foley said, you know, that they the government runs the country. Okay, and they work for us. Okay, and you know what? It's a it's a dark. I I do find it a dark time in Australian politics and in 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 Australia at the moment. I think that the the COVID pandemic and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's created there is a cloud over Australia at the moment. And until we find strong leadership, um, and leaders with conviction on the path, you know, with common sense to bring us back. To what made Australia great, like how you know, so many times we've said, you know, we people want to make the Liberal Party great again. You know, Donald Trump wants to make America great again. You know, we want to make Australia great again. What happened? Why did we not let it? Why? Why did it go down the toilet? Why do we got to make it great again? Because our leadership has let it turn to crap. So what happens is we need some plumbers in plum in in politics to fix the plumbing. 
You know, yep. we need to flush the pond and 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 clean out all the sewage that's causing dysentery, and uh, and let's get back to real politics and real issues. Well, speaking of making it great again, Sam, this is your big opportunity now. It's time to play build your own fantasy government. Yes. Five. We want five or six politicians or, or me- current politicians, former politicians, maybe experts or just ordinary everyday people. If you could build the next parliament and government of Australia, who are five or six people that you would build uh, that government around? There may be leaders that you would build a government around. I still believe in Dutton. Um, uh, I like Jason Clare from the Labor Party. Um, okay. I'm still alive. I still, if, I still think Latham's still got a lot to offer as long as someone's behind him to make sure he, to put himself in the line. Um, I like Andrew Hastie in Perth mm-hmm. from the uh, from the Labor Party. I think I think Penny Wong's doing not a bad job in foreign affairs. Oh, trifle. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't yeah, have I to have she, a long hard think about that one. <laughs> well, I think she's done okay in, in the China relationships and stuff like that. So I think okay. trying to get the. All those export bans and stuff like well, she's that. She's certainly not as bad as what we thought. Yeah, I think you now. I think she's done a good job now. Yeah. Um, what else is there? Can't find anyone in Victoria. I still think Sarah Gann goes okay in South Australia, but I don't think she's good enough to be to be a senior minister in six people. Um, Not yet, but maybe in a little bit more time. Give her some time. Yeah, yeah. If she, if she, if she could you now, if she gets a, now, be what her vote will be in a couple of years' time, and what her vote will be, trying to get her in the Senate, maybe in five or six years' time, or ten years' time. Um, yeah, there's not a lot, of real lot, not a real lot to mention, isn't it? Yeah. You're the only person. This might sound talk out of the game. Um, there's a teal that I think she's got a bit of common sense, and no. she doesn't. <laughs> it's not Zali, is it? No, it's not Zali. Oh no! Oh, I won't it. say it too loud, but I think she's she said a couple of things in finance. She's Allegra Spender. Oh no! <laughs> She spent two point one two million on her campaign. How can you? It wasn't her money. It was fucking. It was Holmes of Court's money and all the rest of it's money. You know. But actually, she's actually. I've watched a bit of Hansard, and she does speak a bit of common sense on the. She's on the in the finance. She's on the economics committee. Now, well, look. This is, this is your choice, so that's fair enough. You're the you're the only person so far that hasn't mentioned Malcolm Roberts, though. So you, there's always a first. Mm, um, well, I was just looking for potential. Or Six Andy. tops. Huh? Senator, they didn't mention Alex Antis. Well, well, while we're at it, Adam. Problem, problem with Alex and them is how they would perform as a minister, you know, when you're talking about six top, you know, making it's all right to sit on the back bench and make speeches and stuff, like, but actually when you, when push comes to shove, you've got to make decisions, you know. <clears throat> all right, Adam, you have a crack and I'll, 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 I might have a go as well. 
Well, like, look, I've got to be honest with you. I'm I'm one of those. I stopped watching MotoGP when Valentino Rossi stopped racing. So, you know, like I I I I like the classics. I like, you know, I like I like people that I I've seen work at it. I'd actually think I'd actually like to see. I think I think Antich, Price. I think they'd be I think they'd be a good leader and deputy deputy leader. Um I think I'd like to I'd like to see like Malcolm Roberts and um Gerard Rennick because I reckon they're real I like just I like the fact that they get in there and they do go against the, the narrative a little bit and they do they work you can tell in Senate estimates and budgets and stuff like that that they researched. You know, when they they go toe to toe with the bureaucrats and they they put the bureau, bureaucrats on in in pressure, so I do like um, Malcolm Roberts and um, and Gerard Rennick. And um, you know what? I think I'd like to see. I'd like to see um, Babbitt, Babette as well. I think you know what I mean. I like the I like the big names. I don't I don't muck around with the, I don't know enough about the little the little you know the the new the new the new team coming up the new ones coming up you know like I lost interest in GP when Mark Marquez and all those guys came through and whatever you know what I mean you know I'm a you know I like all the older guys and it's the same with football I did the same thing with football I stopped watching football once Mal Meninga and all those guys went. Once that generation went away, I stopped watching, you know, so that they were my team. So at the moment I'm stuck on my team, you know what I mean? I've got my team that I like to watch and I'd like to see those guys progress. Um, you know, I'd like to give Malcolm Roberts another 10 years, you know, and see see what he could do in 10 years. And um, and, and, and that's what I think. What about you, Stephen? What do you reckon, mate? Well... You know, if 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 Mark Latham had won the two thousand four election, we wouldn't have got Kevin Rudd. Yeah, we might have got him eventually, but that wouldn't have happened. But I always wondered what would have happened if Howard had won the two thousand seven election and then dealt with the financial cri- the the great financial crisis or whatever they called it. Would he? He wouldn't have wasted money like Rudd did, and I think this country would be in a far better position now. Uh, had had uh, Rudd not been prime minister, that's but, stupid. Seven uh, seven freaking yeah. Thing. I think I think uh, I think unfortunately, John Howard is a bit past at this point in time. He's just too a bit too frail and old. But yeah. uh, if I had to pick my my selection, I, I would say probably the 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 best prime minister this country didn't have was Peter Costello. And I would probably I agree, I agree with you there, but he didn't have the gumption to take Howard on yeah, in two thousand five or something like that, two years yeah, out. He didn't have the gumption to stick around. If he'd stuck around, he would have won the next election. I I feel yeah. he would have beaten. No, he, he, what he should have done, he should have took Howard on in two thousand and five. Hmm. Yeah. So you've been well, there for ten years, move on. And he would have won, you know, would have been a bit like what Hawk the Keating did to Hawk in nineteen ninety one, you know. Hmm. Took him down slowly, but you know, wake up eventually. They eventually took over. Yeah, you know, I agree so with got, that. I agree with that. So you got Costello, Costello. What Keating, what Keating did in '91, you you, you you go back on the back bench and you and you burn him from from the back after the first. Once you once you stab him, you mortally stab him 
later on. You know, yeah. you make you make your statement, you make your intentions known. So he's when on the back bench, and you're, yep, and you're staring down at him. Yeah, <laughs> Keating did it perfectly. Yeah, well, he's he a did, did the hook. Hawk, Hawk never recovered in '91. Well, after the first, the first time, you know, yeah. same like Abbott did. The, you know, uh, Dutton did or did they determine but he survived the first one? Two two days later, he was gone. You know, mm. I would, I would have, I would you have. Soften, you got to soften them up, then you go bang again. Let Sam, let Sam, let Stephen get his bloody dream team out, will ya? I just wanted to get. Uh, can you withdraw that that one before I said that? One on that in Wentworth. You know, can we can we <laughs> edit that it out, son? <laughs> edit that out, son. Huh? All right, Costello. I would pick Peter Costello, Jacinta Price, Alex Antic, uh, Malcolm Roberts, uh, Jared Rennick. Uh, I've said Alex Antic already, haven't I? Yeah, I you could have two of him, though. Yeah, I'd, I'd take two of Antic. <laughs> Um, and look, I'm going to throw a wild card in there. I'm going to throw Matthew Camanzoli in there. Oh yeah, that'd be all right. He'd keep, think, well, he'd keep him on the. He'd keep he, him honest. Yeah, and I think um, I think he's he's got the right message that uh, you know that we believe statement. Or maybe we'll do an episode on it at some point and actually go through the we believe statement. But and then Matthew wouldn't wouldn't mind me saying this. He could be the first one that was actually a prime minister. <laughs> Well, yeah. there you go. There's always a first. But yeah, we'll end on that because, uh, you know, we said we were only going to go an hour, but we never do. And my face is about to And now we've gone for an hour and a half, two hours, haven't we? Yeah, my face is about to drop off. You, you got some You got some editing tonight. You got some editing to go tonight, son. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we'll, we'll get through it. I'll, I'll try not to fall asleep. But thank you, Sam. We had a great weekend. Adam. We Cheers, a- mate. Great weekend. Uh, I mean, it's through thick and thin, son. As I, as I said to uh, um, <laughs> a certain journalist we're talking to, Mr. Bruno leaks like a sieve, but <laughs> it was still a lot of fun. Everyone else does so much well join in. <laughs> yep. But uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, please. Um, Please share it far and wide. Uh, you know, it's it's very important to get it out there. And if you have any guests that you would like us to interview, please reach out. Our email is just there on the screen. Follow us on all our social media. We're out there putting up clips all the time of our recent uh, episodes and everything like that. And, uh, you know, everyone that does watch the show tells us that it's, uh, you know, we get really great feedback and everything. And uh, and uh, it would be interesting for the, the haters of Mr. Sam Buno out there, whether they'll like this episode or not, but I'm sure they will. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, uh, no, thank you very much for everyone watching and we'll see you next time. All the best. Thanks for, thanks for the default view. Once again, if you're you're troubled by Christmas, come and ring me again. I'm five minutes notice. We can just spin it off. Well, hopefully you set up a better, you know, camera and audio. That's right.